Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. This particular area had been searched three previous times, including once with cadaver dogs. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Emily Noble celebrated her 52nd birthday on May 24th, 2020. The following day, she seemingly vanished. Her husband says once home on Abbey Cross Lane, they went to sleep. When he woke up, Emily was gone, leaving behind her car, keys, phone, and credit cards. And then um, one resident in the area who puts her back at home 7 to 8 p.m. range on Sunday the 24th of May. We want to know what happened. Yeah. What's your fear? I fear she's not coming back. I fear we may never find her at all. Brittany Bailey joins us from 10TV in Columbus, Ohio. Brittany, this all started when a woman named Emily Noble was reported missing last year. Take us through the days and moments leading up to her disappearance. Well, her last real night out that people know about was May 24th of 2020, and that was the night she was celebrating her 52nd birthday with her husband, Matthew Moore. Now, she had celebrated it a few days before. I believe the last time one of her friends, Celeste Grone, saw her was when they were celebrating her birthday on May 22nd. So it's sort of been a week-long celebration where she was going out with friends and celebrating, but The night before she disappeared or was reported missing, I should say, was May 24th, and people heard from her that night. She went home, supposedly, and then she was not there the next day. And Celeste, her friend, when I spoke to her, said that, in fact, Matthew, her husband, called Celeste the following day and said, you know, Emily didn't come home. I don't know where she is. And Celeste immediately said, well, did you call police? She was very concerned. And she says that she's the one who actually encouraged Matthew Moore to finally call police and report Emily missing. Now at six... This Westerville woman spent the evening with her husband celebrating her birthday. The next day, she vanished. Before we go much further, what else can you share with us about Emily Noble? Who was she and and what was going on in her life around this time? Well, I think she was a very free spirit and adored by her friends. She had a lot of close girlfriends who really enjoyed spending time with her and speak so fondly of her. Very intelligent, intuitive sensitive, kind, extremely kind. Wendy Carney Hitch calls her a kindred spirit. I like to say we're both the kind of girls that people write songs about. (laughs) And she was a great friend. One of the friends I've met since her disappearance named Tondra Van Allen was friends with her all the way back to college. So they've been friends for 30 years. They were roommates for three years and remained close. Celeste, the friend I mentioned earlier, had only been friends with her for the past several years, but they grew very close. In fact, their birthdays are within days of each other. I believe it was 2017. They took a trip to Belize together. The two of them had wonderful adventures. Celeste joked that, um, 
Emily actually ate a termite while they were in the jungle and in the forest, and she refused to do so. But she was just someone who has a great friend, up for adventure, loved life, and loved doing whatever she could to enjoy that life. Where does this go then as police begin to look into this missing person's case after Emily's husband reports her missing? In these first few days, do they find signs of foul play or or any other evidence that could potentially lead them to Emily? They don't find any signs of foul play, and I believe that was what was concerning. The th- one of the other things that was concerning is that her keys and phone, everything that you might have with you if you are purposely going out or are going to be away for a bit, were still left behind. So that was very concerning. But they saw no trace of any sort of struggle or anything that would suggest that something bad had happened to Emily Noble at that point. But of course, the longer and longer she remained missing, the more and more concerned everyone became. If, if she was out there somewhere, she wouldn't let all of us worry about her for 12 weeks. She would, you know, she would have contacted someone by now. Right. She was reported missing in May. She would remain missing as far as anyone knew throughout the summer and into the fall. What happens from there then in September of 2020? Well, after months and months of searches, and police were very involved in this, but frankly, the community, by the way, really stepped up, and her friends were determined to find her, and they searched the woods, the neighborhoods, every place they could think of. Yeah, we're just, we're we're having people come out today, no dogs, no children, doing searches, social distance, working groups, if you see anything, don't touch anything, just take pictures note where you're at so we can have the professionals come in and take it from there. I talked to Celeste and she and her friend Lisa, who were just very, very close to Emily and wanted to find her. They even told me they searched an empty, abandoned nursing home for fear that maybe her body had been dumped there. They were doing anything they could to find her. No one found a trace of anything until Emily Noble's body was found on September 16th in a wooded area near her home. And this was not out in the middle of nowhere, which everyone found so strange. They could not believe her body was found where it was because this was right near her neighborhood. And I mean, it's right off of a street. Cars are going by. It's near a walking path. It's near where people live. And to be very clear, this particular area had been searched three previous times, including once with cadaver dogs. So immediately people thought there's no way her body has been here the whole time. It has been placed here at some point and only recently found on September 16th, but it had been placed there you know, in the days before that. No one, I don't believe, thinks that it had been there the entire time. Right. I know the Westerville police chief even came out and, and quickly said there's something unusual here in large part because he insisted that they'd search that area thoroughly. What then do we learn about Emily's cause and manner of death? When Emily Noble's body was found on September 16th, it would be weeks later before they actually would officially confirm it was her at first. They could only say that the dental records appeared to match those of Emily Noble. Of course, her body was in severely deteriorated condition at that point. And so it would be more a month before we would find out that it was officially her. And then it would be weeks later before the case moved on from there. But during that time, of course, they were doing further investigation. They were doing autopsies and they were getting help from outside sources from various research labs and even a strangulation expert. And I think that is what really turned the case because the body, as investigators later told us, was staged to look like a suicide. It was in the woods. Emily was found sort of on her knees near a tree and there was a rope hanging from the tree. 
So they believe it was staged to look like a suicide. Of course, they didn't know it had been staged until later when they got the results of some further investigation, advice from experts, everything like that. And it showed that Emily had several facial fractures, meaning that she had been severely beaten prior to her death. And she had four fractures of two bones in her neck, which showed strangulation. And so a strangulation expert said, no way this was a suicide absolutely was a homicide. We should mention too that this is all information that was not known to the public or to the media at the time. It's all information we've learned recently. As this was developing, was the thought among those who knew Emily that this was a homicide or were there just too many unanswered questions? I think there were. I think, well, I think there were a lot of questions. I think people didn't know what to believe because the case had been so strange. I know that those closest to Emily Noble feared from the beginning the worst. But, you know, people who were more on the outside of the case and didn't know all of the details, I think thought, well, maybe, maybe this whole time, maybe something was going on during her birthday. Maybe she was upset about something in her life. Maybe they got in a fight and maybe she did walk away from home that night on her own and, and you know, take her own life. I don't know that everyone immediately thought one thing or another until this evidence came back. Where then does the investigation go after Emily's body is discovered and investigators are looking for a potential killer? Do they identify any suspects immediately? Not that anyone knew officially. I think now it's pretty clear that they always had an eye on Matthew Moore. And I know the neighbors who lived in the neighborhood told me that, you know, they would definitely get questions and people were keeping an eye on the place and wondering what he was doing and his comings and goings. And um, some neighbors told me they were concerned about weapons he might have had in his home, his his heavy drinking, which, by the way, was mentioned in court. Um, So there there were some concerns, and I think people keeping an eye on him for sure. I would say that while he was never officially named a suspect, he most certainly was likely a, a person of interest for the police department in Westerville. And it's just recently then on June 17th that Matthew Moore was arrested What have investigators revealed up to this point about why they believe Matthew Moore is responsible for his wife's death? Well, it's an interesting question to ask because that is one of the main questions we have yet to answer. Mm. Um, They have not revealed a direct link to Matthew Moore when it comes to the evidence. Mostly what they have referred to is showing that Emily Noble's death was a homicide, not a suicide. The only brief thing that was mentioned in court on the day of his arraignment was the prosecutor saying that there is cell phone forensic evidence linking some things in the case to Matthew Moore, but there was no elaboration on that. So that is still one of the big, big questions to be answered that we're likely going to have to find out about in court now, because mostly the case turned when they knew that they were looking for a murderer. Um, And then, of course, everything honed in on Matthew Moore, and he was arrested, guns drawn in his neighborhood as he left his home in his car. Um, They call it a traffic stop, but it was an intense traffic stop, I'll tell you that, if you look at the video. Use your left hand and unlock the door. Only your left hand. Put your hands back on your head. Do not move. Yes, sir. 
It was the moment Emily Noble's death turned into a murder case. Westerville police took her husband, Matthew Moore, into custody. Have prosecutors hinted at all yet as to why, in terms of a possible motive, they're alleging that Moore did this? I have not heard anyone talking about a possible motive. Um, and I think even some of Emily Noble's friends and family are, are just distraught about that as well. They, they, they don't know why this would happen. Uh, you know, as they say, everyone loved Emily. So, you know, they're just concerned that things got out of hand that night. I know that Celeste Grown told me that she knew that Emily and Matthew had had a disagreement, an argument of some sort that week leading up to her disappearance and death. Um, she didn't tell me what it was about. I'm not sure that she knows. But other than that, we've not heard talk about a real true motive. You've also spoken with Matthew Moore's ex-wife, Lisa Peterson, what did you all discuss? Well, we, we talked about a lot of things. They were married decades ago. It was her second marriage. She was married very young. I think she said at age 19, but they were still very young when they got married. And they ended up having two children together, two sons. One sadly died at two years old, and the other actually died by suicide at the age of 17. So when I talked to her, frankly, she you know, you can tell she's still been affected by all of that. And, you know, now, of course, her ex-husband is facing these charges. So it's been a really difficult time for her. I think I could tell that in our conversation. She has stayed in touch with Matthew Moore over the years. In fact, talked with him, she says, the night before his arrest. And had even talked about stopping by to visit because she was she lives in Las Vegas, and that's where Matthew Moore used to live as well. And she was planning a trip to visit one of her sisters in Wisconsin, and was going to stop in and uh, you know say hello at at the very least on her way out there. Obviously, those plans have changed. But one of the reasons we first became aware of her and wanted to talk with her is because of a previous domestic violence case we had heard of, and this case was actually mentioned by the prosecutor in court during Matthew Moore's arraignment when arguing for an even higher bond than the judge gave him. And we looked into it. We obtained the records from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, and it showed an incident that happened on New Year's Day 2001, so many, many years ago. The two, Lisa and Matthew, had only been married for about three months at the time. But what jumped out to us a little bit and to the prosecutor, obviously, was that there was a physical altercation where Matthew was accused of pushing her and grabbing her by the neck. And according to the police report saying to her, you're done for. He came over and he did. For some reason, he ended up yeah, putting his hands around my neck and he started choking and uh, he sucked. Do you remember feeling, you know, in fear of your life back then? Yes. And, you know, he was arrested. He was charged. The case was later dismissed in court. That's very important to note. The case was later dismissed. But I talked to Lisa Peterson a little bit about that. She does remember that. Um, she remembers being, as she put it, scared for her life at the time. But she said it never happened before that, and it never happened again. And they did stay in touch over the years after that. She said talking probably about once a month, if not more. Um, and she really had a tough time thinking about what he may have done. Obviously, they stayed in touch even after Emily Noble's disappearance. And at first, 
she thought that's what had happened. You know, it was, it was a mystery, but she didn't necessarily suspect him. She said once she learned more details about the death, as we all did after his arrest was announced, she said she started to perhaps change her mind and start to think about his guilt. Ever since I found out that the details, I mean, I didn't know the details. Once the details were made clear to me, I started to lean toward his guilt. Those details were that Emily Noble's death was staged to look like a suicide, according to investigators. Peterson and Moore's teenage son had died by suicide the summer before she disappeared. My heart goes out to Emily's family and friends. I just know that no win comes out of this, you know. No, there's no, there's not a win situation, but if he is guilty, then... He will pay. She still was very, very clear that she believes everyone is innocent until proven guilty, but she admitted that she started to think about things more critically after the details came out after his arrest. You also mentioned the death of Matthew Moore and Lisa Peterson's 17-year-old son, which, as I understand, has been reinvestigated in light of Emily Noble's death, right? Yes, and Westerville Police won't say too much about this, but we did look into it after we sort of got a few tips that the similarities were, um, you know, a bit interesting, let's say. And so we obtained the coroner's report and the autopsy report and found out that, sadly, the 17-year-old boy, Joey, had died by suicide, died by hanging in a local park. And very specifically on the report, you know, it said, hanging and found outdoors. And when you think about how Emily Noble's body was found and how investigators say her death was staged, the similarities are hard to ignore. Now, Westerville police, you know, did not make a leap. Um, I basically called to question them about it. And all that they would confirm to me was that that case was re-examined after Emily Noble's disappearance, but that the original finding of suicide still stands. And that was as much as they were willing to share with me about that. But certainly it did raise a lot of questions. And I know um, when Lisa Peterson heard about how Emily Noble was found, it was concerning her as well. She said, one of the things she said to me was, if the, she said the entire death of Emily Noble was morbid and she can't imagine a stranger doing it. And she said the details were too coincidental. Those were some of the words that she used. And so that that is something that, that stuck with me during our conversation for sure. So where do things stand? What charges is Matthew Moore facing and what's next for him? He is facing two counts of murder and one count of felonious assault. He pleaded not guilty to all counts. He is still in jail on a $2.5 million cash surety bond. His next court appearance is in August for his pre-trial hearing and his trial is set to start in September. That is where things stand right now. Um, there is talk that he may have some family resources to be able to make that bond and be released from jail. So I know a lot of folks are, you know, keeping an eye on that to see what happens. There is just so much going on with this case. And it sounds like we stand to learn a lot more as it moves through the courts. Brittany Bailey with 10TV in Columbus, Ohio. You'll have to keep us posted. Thanks for sharing this story. Of course. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're following the show on whatever podcast app you use. 
If you're looking for more true crime, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows or just type Vault Studios into your podcast app. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.